give right here on campus. Good morning. Excited to be able to share this morning. Kind of a busy week for me. I had uh, the opportunity on Wednesday to be in here for Connect Groups. And then um, I get to speak today for both services. And then Tuesday, I'm speaking to the young adults. Wednesday, I'm speaking to the youth. And then Saturday, I'm speaking to the men. So I see Joe and Carolyn. If I can make my way into children's and women's this week, I've got the whole circuit. So we'll see how that turns out. But I did, uh, today I wanted to share, um, the title of my message is Preparing the Way. And I want to talk about being in a season of preparation. Because I think in life we all go, that's been one of my favorite words I use when I'm ministering to people and they're going through a hard time is seasons, right? We go through seasons. Different seasons bring different challenges, different blessings. And I believe that we are in a season right now of preparation. And one season that comes to mind for me with that was uh, when we were having our first child. And I remember um, being in a season of preparation, kind of being clueless because I had no idea what to expect. And some people are good with children and babies. My wife had a lot of experience. Me, I had zero experience. Um, I am the one, and guys usually fall in two categories where you see a baby, like a, a newborn, it's like, oh, I want to hold them, or it's like, no, you know, you feel like it's a glass football where you're sitting there and you're holding it and you're, you're scared. That was me. I had never changed a diaper, never did any of that before um, we had our son. And I remember we were about eight weeks away from the, uh, the due date. And again, kind of being clueless and maybe a little naive, I thought, I'm, I'm good, you know. Spiritually, I was prepared, but in the physical realm, I wasn't so much. And part of that was preparing the baby's room, right, a space for the baby. And um, at eight weeks away, if you were to, the, the room, we, I think we had the crib. It wasn't put together. The, it was kind of all over the place, and we still needed to get the room set up. It wasn't set up. But if you asked me, we're good. We have eight weeks. Eight weeks till this baby. If you ask my wife, she was, there was a little bit more of a sense of urgency. And I remember there were some, uh, some nudges like, we got to get this set up. We got to be ready. We got to, you know, expect the unexpected, all this. So I took her advice and um, we put the crib together, got the whole room set up and we're good to go. And I remember uh, I was being, uh, being so fortunate that I listened to my wife because our son came five weeks early. So from that point on, and you know, so we're at the hospital, you have that baby, and I don't know, guys, if you remember that, you're walking out, and you've got that carrier, and I was like, is this happening? Is they, they really going to let me take this thing? You know, and you get it, and that first time, you're putting the baby in the car, and I'm already a little OCD in tendency, so I'm like 100 times checking, making sure this thing's in there, probably should have set it up. Um, hadn't prepared that way. But when we got home, I was so glad that we had prepared the room because it was nice. We had like the crib there, the, the uh, I think it's called a changing table, right? We had a little changing table, the wipes, the diapers, everything. The whole room was set up and it really did. It was nice to have that room prepared and set up. And um, we had a chocolate lab, Rusty, who's now in doggy heaven, and dogs go to heaven, right? Okay, 
Ask Pastor Rick about that. Just kidding. Just kidding. All gods go to heaven. Um, so our dog, Rusty, I remember beautiful chocolate lab, but he shed. He shed a lot. And um, I remember he was not allowed in that space. He kind of had to be, uh, he had a rude awakening, awakening because he was our child before children. And, and he got kind of pushed to the side. But first, the starting point, he was not allowed in that room. That was the baby's room. That was the baby's space. It was his special space. And I'm going to suggest that in a similar way, God desires to have a special space, a set-apart space. Because really, that's the word, the definition of holy is what? Set-apart, right? A sacred space. And God desires to have a space like that, that he can pour out his presence, manifest his glory, that he could dwell with his people in these holy spaces. In the Old Testament, we see the tabernacle was one of those holy spaces. The temple was one of those holy spaces. I'm going to suggest that that's God's desire is that he wants to dwell with his people. He wants to pour out his presence. But as his people, we have to make preparations, I believe, as well. There's preparations that we need to do to make sure that that space is ready, that it is holy and set apart if God is going to truly fill it. And that's why I say I believe we're in a season of preparation. We're supposed to be preparing for something that I believe God is going to do and to pour out. And I see this pattern in the Bible. And I kind of want to walk through uh, the Old Testament and kind of move, keep turning right, going towards the New Testament and talk about this pattern I see. And it's this, that God first prepares a space, a holy space, has it prepared. And then once it's prepared, then he fills it with his presence, with his glory. But it's not until it's prepared and ready that he's going to fill it and manifest his glory in that space. So I want to kind of go through the Bible. Let's start, let's start at the tabernacle. Okay, that's the first space I wanted to look at and set some groundwork, the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9, it says this, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the, taber, uh, the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. I see a what, a why, and a how here. What? He says, make me a sanctuary. That's what Moses is being told to do. Make me a sanctuary. But then he tells them why. Why? Because he wants to dwell with them, that I may dwell in their midst. And then he tells them him how to do it. In fact, it says, exactly as I show you. See, it's God's desire to dwell with his people, but the people have to first prepare this space for God to come and fill it. And, and we don't get to just set it up any way we want. He told Moses, exactly as I show you. So then back, if somebody tells you this is exactly how I want it done, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Right? Partial obedience is really disobedience. Either do it the way God wants it. Imagine if you were building a house and the ar- you know, and you have the plans all laid out and the architect just went rogue and did his own thing. 
and you come in and you look and you're like, what? This isn't what, I'm not paying for this. This isn't the way I designed it. And God had a specific pattern the way that he wanted his house set up, his dwelling place. And so I'm going to suggest that for Moses, at this point, the key was obedience. Unlocking it. Because I believe that if Moses decided, you know, I know God said that, but I'm going to do my own. You know, let's, let's make some modifications. It wasn't exactly the way God showed him. If he decided to do his own thing, I don't think he would have filled it with his presence and his glory. So obedience was the key, I believe, to unlocking all that God had and locking his presence and ultimately his glory there and dwelling with them. Um, it says this in Exodus 40, 16. It said, thus Moses did according, according to all that the Lord commanded him to do. You know what? It's interesting because in, in chapter 48 times it says, and Moses did all that the Lord commanded. Moses did as the Lord commanded. Moses did as the Lord commanded. Moses did as the Lord commanded. He did everything because God said, do it exactly the way I show you. And he did. And then we read this. In Exodus 40, verse 33 and 34, it says this. So Moses finished the work. It was done. Then, notice the word then. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I think we're going to see this pattern through the Bible. The work, the preparations were done. It was finished. It was prepared the way God wanted it prepared. And then he filled it with his presence and with his glory. Let's move on to the next dwelling place. And uh, uh, that one is the temple. The temple. If we remember the, uh, the story of the, the temple, the, the tabernacle was the portable right tent that they took with them through their wilderness journeys. Once they got into the promised land, they wanted to build a house. David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but David was denied. Remember? God said, you've got too much blood on your hands. You've fought in too many, too many wars. You're not going to build the temple, but your son, Solomon, will build the temple. His son was going to build it. But check this out. Here's an interesting Verse, when I was doing my study this week, this, this verse really jumped out at me. And for some reason, I had missed it before. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, 5, 1 Chronicles 22, 5, it said, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. He didn't trust his son to do the job here, by the way. I have to say that right off the bat. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. And listen to this. It says, so David made abundant preparations before his death. Wait a minute. David couldn't build the temple David was never even going to see the temple. But he still made abundant preparations. You know what that tells me? David was concerned about the next generation. David was setting something up for the next generation. He wasn't going to experience it, but he wanted the next generation to experience the presence and the glory of God. So he made abundant preparations. 
I think that's a whole message for us right there, right? I'm not going to get sidetracked, but we should be preparing for the next generation. We need that same heart that we're sowing seeds into the youth, into the children, to this next generation. They're under attack and being and preparing them, setting them up the same way he set up Solomon to experience the presence and the glory of God. Again, we should be preparing. So Solomon, the baton's passed. For the next seven years, Solomon's building the temple. And then in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 1, we read this. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Remember that word we saw that was finished? Same thing back when the tabernacle Moses was finished. Now we see Solomon finished. All the work was done. And then he did three things that I think help usher in the presence and the glory of God. Praise, prayer, and humility. Praise, prayer, and humility. Let me show you where I see that. Praise. After Solomon set up the temple, the says the priest came in, they brought the ark in, and it was done. It was ready. We don't have a time frame as how long it was from when it was done to when this next event takes place. It could have been minutes. could have been an hour. could have been later in the day. But at some point after it was all set up, the priests leave. Then, you know who comes in? The worship team. The worship team. So imagine if you were there because people, everyone's there watching. And we're watching. The priests come out with the ark. And we're sitting there like this. Something's supposed to happen? You know, we, we heard the story about the tabernacle, right, where the glory fell when Moses, you know, when he was finished, and they're sitting there, and who knows? Maybe it was just a couple moments, maybe it was an hour, but at some point, the glory hadn't fallen yet. There was a gap. It hadn't been ushered in, but notice what ushered it in. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, it says, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. I love this. And when the, and when the song was raised, when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. The house was, the, the, the temple was done. And then he brings in the singers. Even the drummer got to come because the cymbals were there, right? Cymbals, stringed instruments, everybody. And then all of a sudden it says, as soon as they raised the song, the song was raised. God poured out his glory, manifested his glory in that place. You see, praise is one of the tools that unlocks the presence of God and, and, and ushers in the presence of God, the manifest presence, right? We know that God is, when I'm talking about his presence, we know that God is omnipresent, right? But we're talking about when he pours out and manifests his presence in specific Areas like the temple here. But it doesn't stop there. Then in verse 6, uh, sorry, chapter 6, so, uh, Solomon gets on the ground. 
He kneels before the people and then he prays. We call that the prayer of dedication. Beautiful prayer. And then he finishes his prayer. This is in in the sight of everybody. So he gets down, they're all there. He kneels down, he prays, and then he's done praying. And look at what it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Wait a minute, I thought the glory of the Lord already filled the temple in in chapter 5. Yeah, it did. Waves of glory. Just like in in, in the New Testament, we're we're filled and we're constantly being filled. Remember when you read in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, the the, the disciples are what? They're filled. Kind of interesting too because it says fire, tongues of fire came down, right? They were filled. And here we see fire coming down, consuming the offering. And then... You read and you go a couple more chapters over in Acts chapter 4 and they're praying for boldness and it says, and they were all filled. Waves of filling. Waves of God pouring out. And I think that's what we see here. Chapter 5, he pours out his glory. Chapter 7, he pours out his glory. What In chapter 5, what ushered in that? Praise. They lifted a song. Then he gets down. Humility. In front of everybody. Praise more glory. I'm going to suggest we're seeing these, this pattern of things that can help usher in the presence, usher in the glory. Moses, I believe it was obedience. Solomon, I'm going to suggest prayer, praise and humility. Let's move to the next dwelling place. Now we're getting to the New Testament. The Messiah. The Messiah. What's a dwelling place? A place, a temple, a tabernacle, a place where God dwells and he puts his presence, right? Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, the Bible actually, you guys are probably familiar with this verse, tells us that Jesus body was a temple. Let's read that. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus' body was a temple. Remember, all the way back to the tabernacle. What was it? That God wanted to dwell with his people. That word tabernacle literally is is, is a dwelling place. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, pitched a tent among us. The temple was, was there. God dwelling Fully God, fully man, dwelling in the temple of Jesus' body. And notice this line. And we beheld what? His glory. Temple. Glory. The disciples here are saying they beheld his glory. I'm going to suggest that they did. 
But I'm also going to suggest that there were actually preparations that had to be made before they saw the glory of Jesus revealed. I want to take you to an Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5. A lot of you are very familiar with this because we see it in the New Testament being um, quoted often. But look at this Old Testament prophecy. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And look what it says in verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. I'm going to suggest something. I see in verse 3 it says, prepare the way. There's preparations that had to be made. And then in verse 5, then what do we see? The glory. Somebody was going to prepare the way that the glory would then be revealed. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see John the Baptist fulfilling this. And the angel told, Gabriel told um, John's father, he said, that he would make a people, make ready a people, what? Prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist, that, that was his, his role. He was going to make ready a people, can I do air quotes, prepared for the Lord. He was making preparations. He was making preparations. What, what kind of preparations did he make? Well, let's look. Mark chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. It says, the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make his path straight. So he's quoting uh, Isaiah 40. Then we get the fulfillment of it. It says, John, that's John the Baptist, came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. Then it says, then, would you say then? Then. then. All the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. How did John prepare the way? Repentance. Remember, John was about baptism of repentance and confession of sin. Something that we, I know we've all probably read this as we read through the Gospels, but something that kind of hit me this week that more than maybe any other time, it said that word all in verse 5. All the land of Judea and those in Jerusalem went out. Is he using hyperbole here? Is this like something because he basically said, look at all the land, everybody was going. This wasn't just a couple people. I think he is maybe using a little hyperbole because we do know that the Pharisees rejected the baptism of John, right? The Bible tells us so. And we know that not every single person, it wasn't all in the sense that every single person went out. But I think that this is like saying, you know, at the football game, you're watching at the Super Bowl and it's like everybody was there, right? You know, like and everybody, you're like this example saying like everybody was at this event. What he's saying here, I think is, look at this community was experiencing a revival, they were repenting. They were turning. They were preparing. They were getting ready. 
John was getting them ready, preparing to make a people prepared for the Lord. And this wasn't just a couple people. Tons of people are coming out. What are they doing? Repenting, confessing their sin. And Jesus, we read in John, he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. I'm going to suggest that he, think about this. The Bible tells us, Jesus is the temple, right? We just saw that. True temple. I believe that the tabernacle and the, the, the temple were just signposts pointing to, to Jesus. The spiritual reality that that is the place that God wants to, to truly dwell with us and, and meet with him. But as we're going through this, think about this. We celebrated, it's been a while now since we celebrated Christmas. I was feeling like it was last month, but it was, I guess it's been a while. We celebrated Christmas, right? Not too long ago. We celebrate the birth of Christ. Do you guys know that Jesus was about 30 years old when he started his ministry? He's the temple, right? So that means the temple was sitting there for 30 years and the glory hadn't been manifested yet. It was veiled. Think about that. We read about when, when, when at least according to the Bible, in the Gospel of John, he said at the wedding of Canaan, after his first miracle, and he changed the water to wine, it said, and then he thus manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in it. It was his first time where he, that's apparently, right? He's starting his ministry is when he started manifesting his glory. John the Baptist prepared the way Set it up through repentance, confession, people making themselves ready, and then the glory was poured out. So we see this pattern. Preparations before God fills and manifests his glory and puts his presence in, uh, and displays it to the people. We see all the going back again. Tabernacle, Moses, I'm going to suggest, was obedience. Solomon, praise. Prayer, humility, ushering in the presence and the, the glory of the Lord. John the Baptist, preparing the way, his preparation, getting the people ready by preparing their hearts. Repentance, confessing of sin, making a clean and holy space that God can dwell. And people were coming and people were preparing. And then, I have one more. You and me, the church. Let's look at this last dwelling place. You see, God wants to dwell with his people. And I believe in the New Testament, it's pretty clear that it often, it says, the Bible tells us that you individually are the temple and we corporately are the temple of God. Let me just give you two scriptures just to make sure that, you know, I'm not making that up. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Apostle Paul says, do you, that's a singular you there, that means you individually, you and I, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Your body is a temple because God has put his spirit in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you if you are a Christian. But the church corporately is also a dwelling place of God, a temple. And he says that in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, 
Do you not know that you, and the you here is plural, he's talking to the group, that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So the, we see this progression. Now, God is, remember, all the way back with the tabernacle, he gave us the why he wanted, that he could dwell with his people. Now, God is meeting with people. He did it through Jesus. Now, he's meeting, and we have these little pockets where he's put his presence in you, in me, and in the church. And I'm going to suggest we have opportunities to usher in his presence and see his glory, his glory manifested as well. But I'm also going to suggest that we're supposed to be making preparations to see that happen. You see, the work's not done. The work's not done. Let me, let me explain what I mean there. The tabernacle, it was finished. Right? It was done. The building was done. Completed. God ushered in his presence, manifested his glory there. The work, the work was done. Moses finished the work. Solomon, the building, the temple, it was done. It was completed. Even John the Baptist preparing for Jesus, his work was done. He, he kind of did his part, stepped aside. The preparations were done. Jesus' work we know was done, right? At the cross, it is finished. He was done. Done work. It's finished. Where in the Bible does it say that the church, our job is done? You got a verse? There's not. We're, 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 we're in a building process. We're still being built. We're still being called to make preparations. Look at this verse in, in Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, 20 through 22. It says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building together, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in whom you also are being built together. I just want to stop there for a second. You're being built together. It's not done. The project's still going. We're being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 1 Peter 2.5 says almost the exact same thing. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I'm going to suggest the work's not finished. Just to make it clear, Jesus said, I will build my church. He's building his church. But who's doing the work? He's obviously behind the scenes doing the work, but, but do you understand where I'm going with that? How did you get here? Obviously the Holy Spirit and, and you know, working on you and you confessing and all these things, but how do we bring people into the church? Preaching the gospel, right? Going out and getting, so we, we are the agents, the workers. Moses built the temple, but Moses wasn't out there with a hammer. Solomon built the temple. He wasn't out there with a hammer building it. You see, there were people and teams around him that he was using. And Jesus, same thing with the disciples and us. We have been called to partner with God in this building. The work is still going. How's the preparations going? Do you have a good week preparing? 
I believe, like, and I know I'm not alone, and I know many in this room believe, but I believe we're going to have a, we're, we're going to see a great revival. I believe that God's going to pour out. Are we holding it up? I mean, could we be speeding this along or hasting it along a little faster? Maybe God wants to pour out. Is it, let, me, let me ask you a question. If you're not experiencing God's presence in your life, who's, who's to blame? Is it Pastor Rick's fault? Is it my fault? Is it your wife's fault? Your husband's? Your kids? Your work? Who's responsible for keeping that? that? It's you, right? If we're not experiencing God's presence and glory in a way that we'd like to see in this church right now, whose fault is it? Are we going to blame everybody else? I think revival starts with the few, not with the many. It's hearts that are set aside. And you have, starts with a personal revival. And as God is lighting your hearts on fire and doing things, it spreads through the congregation. And if we make ourselves ready, I believe God wants to pour out. I believe God wants to pour out. We just talked about ways. And we'll go, what does that look like? I don't have four points or anything like that, but let me give you the ones that we talked about. I believe that when a people, as with Moses building the tabernacle, people of obedience, God wants to bless it and pour out in that place. With Solomon at the temple, I believe when there's a people of prayer and praise and humility, God wants to bless it and pour out on that place. Like John the Baptist preparing when, when the people confess their sin and repent, God wants to pour out on that place. Those are all things that we should be doing right now because I believe that God is partnering with us to usher in this next great revival, this next great movement of God. If we're just sitting back, just going, okay, well, God, it's on your time. You're in control of everything, so you just, you know... Yes, God is in control with everything, but he works with his people to build. Can I get the worship team to come on up? I started this message by talking and even titling it, Prepare the Way. And I believe that um, we are in a season of preparation. But here's the thing. It starts with you. It starts with me. Individually preparing our temple, preparing our lives, making sure that we're ready, that we're prepared. So I, I want to pray. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and let's, let's pray. Lord, we just come before you, Father, and even as we talk about this topic, Lord. We're, we're hungry. We want revival. We want to see your presence poured out. We want to see you, your presence manifested in our lives, in our church, 
in our nation. Lord, I'm reminded of that great prayer of revival or that petition for revival in 2 Chronicles 7 where you say, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear and forgive their sin and heal their land, Lord. Sounds a lot like what we talked about today, Lord. I pray that we would do that, Lord. If, if there's any in this room, even right now, that we're, we're, we're taking this moment, if there's something in your life you're holding back, an unconfessed sin that you need to deal with it, deal with it right now. Lay it at the foot of the cross. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't leave here today carrying that baggage home with you. If you have something that you need to deal with, deal with it right now. Lord, we prepare our hearts. Lord, we humble ourselves before you, God. Lord, we ask that you would have your way with us, Lord. Lord, we ask that we would be agents that you use, Lord, to usher in this next great revival, to see many souls come to Christ, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would all be ready and that we would all make the preparations needed. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bless you, church. We'll see you Wednesday night. Be blessed.
so 